It's Tuesday, May 13th from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. I know it's only episode seven, but we are tweaking the format for a day. It turned out that you guys really loved and responded to our breakout character, Urkel Fonzarelli. So now he'll be in every episode delighting and know that's not true at all. We're not going to go that far. We're going to have a great conversation. Two high school football coaches who were featured in documentaries, the Academy Award-winning documentary from 2011, Undefeated, and there's a new one out called We Could Be King. And it's the first time anyone has ever got these two coaches together to talk about their jobs and their philosophies and to talk to each other. It is a longish talk. I give my spiel over to it. You might not think you'll be into two coaches talking about football, but remember, football is the hook. It's about a lot more than football. And now, the Smith College graduating class of 2014 cordially disinvites you. As the chief of the International Monetary Fund over the last three years, Christine Lagarde has had to face unprecedented challenges in righting the economies of Europe. She is, of course, the first woman to head the IMF, just as she was the first woman to be a finance minister of a G8 nation. When you think about it, other than someone like Empress Maria Theresa or one of the Borgias, she is the most powerful woman in the history of finance. But as head of the IMF, she leads an organization that has been criticized fairly at times, I think, for things like strict terms of lending, for obsessing over inflation at the cost to GDP growth in some countries. Put aside the IMF for a second, and let's talk about Smith College, prestigious women's college in Holyoke, Massachusetts. You might think that a female pioneer in one of the most male-dominated fields would be celebrated by Smith, and that was the idea behind the invitation to have Lagarde speak at graduation on Sunday. Instead, after almost 500 Smith students signed the petition, Lagarde withdrew. Disinviting or dissuading odious speakers from appearing at commencements has a long history. These days, though, it seems that the word odious means anyone who has ideas that I don't like. I guess in students' perspective, they care about the women in these third world countries, the emerging market countries that have been punished time and time again with austerity measures from the IMF. And they want to send a message to an out-of-touch technocrat. That's Kathy O'Neill. She's a blogger at mathbabe.org. And she's also a panelist on the new Slate Money podcast. I asked Kathy... So despite the sins of the IMF, what about embracing a powerful, accomplished, groundbreaking female leader? One of the questions you might ask is, who's this party for anyway? And the answer is, it's for the graduating students on the one hand, but of course it is an opportunity for, for the higher-ups and the trustees to you know, do favors and honor people. I don't think that's necessarily a terrible choice to have an exceptionally strong woman but I, I do think in the future, they, you know, if, if universities and colleges want to avoid this kind of embarrassment, they might want to include the students in the decision-making process for who should be invited. Well, they did. I mean, that's why they acquiesced or, um, you know, allowed to let it pass that Lagarde withdrew and they thought it was the best solution for everyone. But as I look at her policies, and rather than judge the IMF and the sins of the IMF that predated her, you know, she had tough choices to make. And to take one country, Greece is doing better now that she's head of the IMF. I don't know if it's because she's head of the IMF, but, you know, I was just reading that the Greece economy shrunk by like 25% its worst year in 2008. 
up 0.6% this year, might grow to 3% next year. It's not great, especially considering it's starting off point from that negative 25%, but that's better. And then their debt as a percent of gross domestic product is shrinking and is projected to shrink. So she gets no credit for that. It's what the IMF did before she even got there. Look, the IMF has a long history, and I would I would argue that the people in Greece have their own opinion about whether the IMF approach to Greece is correct, and not all of them would agree that it's it's wonderful. And especially, you know, even if they sometimes make the right decision, it's it's not involving the actual people that are there being affected. It's it's a kind of completely technocratic, above the above the process kind of decision making. And look, and Christine Lagarde represents that. Let me ask you a question about leadership. Um, it seems to me, so I look at some of Smith's past speakers at graduation, Rachel Maddow, Jane Lynch, she's funny, and I take it those women have great accomplishments, they're laudable, but the nature of their jobs is not like the nature of finance minister or head of the IMF. In terms of hard choices, I don't think the two compare. Is it just an impossible standard to require that someone who's in a job, that necessarily has to make really hard choices, where some people are of course, going to be so upset to exclude her from a ceremony like this. It just seems to me that it is a really, really tough standard to abide by. Listen, I mean, I I think the perfect graduation speakers that I've heard about are Click and Clacks at MIT because they are, you know, they're incredibly hilarious. They're they're fun to listen to, and ultimately, they're talking about cars, and, and they're really uncontroversial. And it's it, it's fitting to the to the actual event, which is celebrating um, students finishing college. I think that the students at Smith um, have rightly sort of taken a cynical view of what it what it means to have somebody come and give a speech at its graduation ceremony. That the the, the colleges and university of today are thinking much more in terms of marketing and branding than they are really thinking <clears throat> about academic debate. I get it. But, you know, my opinion is that I see this trend of speakers getting disinvited or taking themselves off the list, and it's not a good thing. And furthermore, I think I disagree with you about the idea that the best graduation speakers are, you know, non-controversial entertainers. If you want the university to stand for something and to represent something, it should sometimes stand for taking on a tough issue and also acknowledging that there are tough choices, and that's kind of a definition of leadership. Well, in that case, then why don't they let the students choose their leaders, choose the, the people they think are heroes? I agree with you. It would be it would be inspiring to have a hero up there, but if it's the trustees' heroes rather than the students' heroes, that's a different thing. Okay, I get it. Well, Kathy O'Neill, who is a panelist on the uh, Slate Money podcast, which comes out every Saturday. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you very much. In 2011, the movie Undefeated won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature Film. It told the story of the Manassas Tigers football team of Memphis, Tennessee. The coach of that team was Bill Courtney, a compelling, charismatic guy who couldn't help but impart life lessons with every speech. The character of a man is not measured in how he handles his wins, but what he does with his failures. And tonight, we failed. And everybody says, when you get these inner city kids down, they'll lay over and you'll beat them by 40. Not us. There's a new film out now, We Could Be King. 
Maybe you've seen it all over ESPN. It made waves at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's also about a striving football team led by another charismatic coach who gives rousing speeches. We come from humility. We got mismatched cleats. We go to different schools, difficult situations. But that's not what makes us weak. That's what makes us stronger than everybody else. That team's the MLK Cougars out of Philadelphia. The coach is Ed Dunn. Hello, Coach Dunn. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. And joining me in the studio is Bill Courtney, who has a new book out called Against the Grain, A Coach's Wisdom on Character, Faith, Family, and Love. Ed Dunn and Bill Courtney have never met, so we thought we would bring you two guys together for a chat. Thanks very much for having me. It's very hard to coach young men in a tough sport, even if you have all the advantages. But your two teams seem to have all the disadvantages. So, Bill, let me start with you. What's the mindset? Do you you try to turn those disadvantages into advantages, you know, like us against the world? You know, from a 30,000-foot view, um, I don't coach football. I coach kids who play football. And what I mean by that is I I don't worry about X's and O's in a playbook at first. I worry about character, commitment, integrity, civility, perseverance, kids understanding the dignity of hard work. And when that's the foundation – then the X and O's come pretty easy, and the wins follow. And so that was my whole approach. Coach Dunn, similar philosophy? Definitely. I, I would have to echo that, that the football is the easy part. These kids love this game. They've been playing it their entire life. Um, it's the other parts. It's the life lessons that are sometimes a struggle. Coach Dunn, did you find that the hardest part was what? The lack of funding, the fact that the kids often came in, you know, not ha- not knowing a lot about football, or the fact that they were so distracted by other real tough things going on in their lives? There are so many other big issues that these kids have to deal with. Uh, what we try to do is pre- use football as kind of an escape, and through that escape they can learn all these life lessons in a safe environment. They can experience success. They can experience failure in a place that's safe and that they can learn from it in a positive way. Yeah, and that's one of the heartbreaking things about the milieu of both of the documentaries, just how little chance that the kids are given. And sports is one of the few things I think that society at least recognizes that, you know, these kids, no matter who who they are or where they're from, need to be given that chance. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Coach Dunn, you probably agree with me on this, is, you know... All these kids have dreams of playing Division One football and being in the NFL, but I mean, more people get into heaven than get into the NFL. All right, so, it, but you're not going to dash a kid's dreams. But here's the deal: if through playing football and being around the right kind of coaches and mentors, like what Coach Dunn is talking about, these kids learn the value of hard work, the importance of discipline, what character is about, the difference in being hurt and being injured. Uh, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and doing what you have to do and then have illustrations like my coaching staff was in terms of just the way we walked our lives and the way Coach Dunn's coaching staff is, then who cares about football? Because when football's long over, the foundation laid by virtue of being in that program serves them well when they're at work and their boss makes them angry. And instead of snapping off and losing their job, they have discipline and deal with it. And when life hits them in the mouth at 45 and they lose a job, they don't freak out and go to the bottle. They, they've got, they've got a, an understanding of what perseverance is and hard work is and a mentality of, I'll make it past this. And if all of those things that serve them throughout their business life and their family life help them to be a productive citizen because of what they learned on a football field from, from football coaches, that's the power of the hook. Have you, have you seen Undefeated Coach Dunn? Yeah, definitely. It, it actually 
uh, brought me to tears, and I, I believe I, I watched it a couple times before our football season. Uh-huh. And did you get any techniques or any drills? Did he give you any tips that you used? I think the biggest thing is just the the level of commitment that Coach shows to his kids and the, obviously the, the caring and the relationship that he has for them, and that's something that I could relate to, and that's why, you know, uh, got choked up watching it because I saw so many parallels, even though it was kind of a completely different world in the sense of geographically from the type of kids that we're dealing with in the environment. Um, but just so many, so many parallels to I could pick three kids, three or four kids that the, the story revolved around them. Like that's my mm-hmm. kid, you know. Yeah. That, I, that reminds me of a kid that I had. You know what's amazing is is what Coach Dunn's saying is. You know, I mean, let's be candid. They're northern kids. We're southern kids. We're in Memphis, kind of a mid-market. They're in Philly. You know, he's he's an African-American coach. I'm a white coach. And you can you can draw all the contrast you want to, but what's amazing and beautiful about it is the things that work for these kids and the things that work for his kids are the exact same thing. And isn't that the point, that these fundamentals and this foundation that you lay for kids – work and it doesn't matter who you are what walk of life you come from what your reality is these core tenets and fundamentals work period and coach and i in a very weird way from being from two so very vastly different worlds are living proof of it working no matter who you are where you're from yeah and and i think it begins with with high expectations um having those high expectations for kids because often they come from a place where no one expects them to do anything great or anything significant. So giving them high expectations, but it comes from a place of, of love and caring where you have those high expectations for them because you legitimately believe in them and believe in the, the ability that they have to do great things. Okay, maybe a tough question or two. Both of you guys are unbelievably charismatic. You seem like great coaches. But it can't have been the case that you were the only two either role models or very skilled educators that they encountered. I mean, they had to have encountered others. There had to have been other people who really wanted to help and maybe had a lot of skills. Why do you think you got through in a way that others couldn't? I I, I, I want to go first because yeah. I get that question all the time. Yeah. First, you need to understand the demographics of Manassas. Greenlaw, Smoky City, and New Chicago are the neighborhoods that surround the school. 13.2% of the families consist of a married couple. An 18-year-old male is three times more likely to be incarcerated than he is to be in college by his 20th birthday. Fewer than 33% of the people own an operating vehicle. 82% of families with children under 15 named the grandmother as the head of the household, and the average income annually, median income annually, is $7,885. Abject poverty and loss. There is just so little hope. So in answer to your question, sure, there's a few, but there's not many. But the difference in me and the couple that might have come along is that I had the hook. If you want to play football, you got to deal with me. And at first, they're not showing up to be mentored to. They're not showing up to hear about character and love and commitment. They're showing up to play football. But when football's the hook, and now I got the hook in them, now I got a chance to exact measure that matters the most. So in fairness to other people who have tried, if they're big brothers and big sisters or read a book program, how many 17-year-old strapping kids want to go spend a Thursday afternoon reading a book? But they sure want to play football. So... I've got an unfair advantage over most because I got the hook, but the thing is, with the hook, use the hook. 
And that, in my mind, is the difference. Coach Dunn? Yeah, I, I agree with Coach. I mean, I think a big part of this starts from the perspective of these kids have a, a deep love of football and love of the game. But the second part is that we really emphasize in our program uh, is, is through, you know, our entire coaching staff. We have a large coaching staff. We have a large support staff in the school, and we have a strong uh, parental involvement for those parents that are around and want to be involved. And, and one of the things that we really push is, is college opportunities. It's, we got really, really good at being able to turn kids that have uh, football ability into being able to use that football ability to get some of their education paid for. And for the majority, the vast majority of our kids, probably nine out of ten of our kids that take advantage of these college scholarships, they wouldn't have been able to go to college at all. And so by having that carrot out there, because at the end of the day, a lot of these kids, you know, even as, as rough a situation as they come from, most of these kids would want to go to college if, if that opportunity was given to them. So when you combine the hook of football with the additional hook of, hey, you can be a college athlete and get an opportunity to get an education to do something with your life if you work hard and you buy into what we do in the classroom, if you buy into the behavior piece, if you buy into the attendance piece, if you buy into the being a citizen and being a, being a young man, as at the end of the day, our ultimate goal, I mean, we all want to win championships and we all want to win a lot of football games, but we also want to put a whole bunch of kids in college. And the more kids that we put in college, the more that that culture is created where there's an opportunity to, to legitimately change your life through what we do in our program. Let's say that you reach these kids that you reached and you change their lives, but in your case, Coach Dunn, you didn't win a championship. In your case, for that year, Bill Courtney, they didn't make the playoffs for the first time ever. Let's say the results on the field. I mean, sometimes, you know, a pass goes incomplete or bad luck happens. Would it have been as compelling a documentary? Is that fair? Would you, would you be getting the acclaim that you're getting now? I mean, I think the reality of the situation is that from the people on the outside, yeah. I think that would change a lot. Uh, but with inside, with inside our program, the impact that we have on kids' lives is the number one priority. I think that winning does serve a part in that because winning reinforces the lessons that you teach. You want to teach kids that hard work equals, you know, positive outcomes, so you try to win. But the reality of the situation is that you're not going to win every single game, and kids need to learn how to deal with failure the same way they need to deal with success. Um, I, I, I think that you know, there's a possibility that it might not be as glamorous a story without the winning. However, the work that we do is not contingent upon winning the championship. And, you know, as far as we go, it's not about being undefeated on the football field. It's about not being defeated by your circumstances. So, uh, you know, wins and losses are wins and losses. But at the end of the day, both of our stories are not football stories. They're human interest stories with football as the backdrop. Yeah. Although I do think at the level that you guys coach in the divisions that you coach, I do think it is unfair at the NFL level, at the big college level, to see a correlation between the character of coaches or even hard work by teams and success. Sometimes there's nothing you could do if you don't have the talent. But I honestly do think that if you have a really, really well-coached team and if you have kids who really, really buy in at the high school level, that alone could be the difference between winning and losing. To be honest with you... Um Pete Carroll and I have personally had this conversation, and this is how he coaches even at the at the pro level. And he won a Super Bowl with a bunch of fourth and fifth and sixth round draft picks. Yeah. And his guys buy in, period, to always compete and win forever. And so I really don't – you're right. At the NFL, talent does tend to take over, but – 
I will tell you, these fundamentals work all the way up from from Little League all the way up to the NFL, and and Coach Carroll's a, a great example of it. And Bill, didn't you have to buy like some of the uniforms and some of the equipment for the team itself? We spent, um, we raised two hundred and twelve thousand dollars in six years at Manassas. When when we first got to Manassas, the first five ball games they played were called pay games. Went out and played huge schools elsewhere, got paid four thousand dollars a game, and then that's how they bought uniforms and equipment. And I was. And by the way, the point of those games is not for you to beat those teams that pay. Your oh job. no, the point <laughs> is to get your ass <laughs> yeah, handed yeah. to you. And so the truth is, um, I said this is crazy. How do you expect these kids to work and work and work and then know they're being sold out? And so I went to the community and started telling the story and just raising a bunch of money. And then that's how we paid for the equipment. And then by the sixth year, now our numbers were right and our kids were right. And the very teams that used to pay us $4,000 to go be their homecoming queen, we were going out to their place and thumping them pretty good. And it just goes to show any kid anywhere, give them a level playing field and a fighting chance, an opportunity to be part of something positive, And he can be amazing. And I remember you saying that you kind of changed your mind about that. You've come to that conclusion. I have, because my mom and dad were divorced when I was four. My mom was married five times. My fourth stepdad shot at me down a hallway, and I had to dive out a window to save for myself. I mean, I didn't come up from anything, and I went to school on scholarship, and I worked three jobs, and, and I always thought, you know what? Nobody has any worse than I did, and, and I made it, so if you don't make it, it's on you. Well, the truth is, I also had a grandfather who loved me a lot, who was fairly successful in it, and I had some coaches around me who loved me a lot and, and, and put their they were there to catch me when I fell. And maybe and, the overall community that you were in it, wasn't it, one of it, deprivation. I, 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 absolutely. Yeah. These kids don't have at least that until co- guys like Coach Dunn come around. And then when guys like Coach Dunn come around, amazing things happen with just the just the smallest bit of uh, of leveling the playing field and small spit of love and small spit of understanding and and I love what Coach Dunn said earlier. You know we're going to have expectations of our kids. He's exactly right. You got to hold them just as accountable as you would your own children. And when you do, they respond. And Coach Dunn, tell me if you think this is too young. I have a five and a seven year old, and they don't play football, but they're just getting into jumping jacks. And I borrowed from you spelling "humble and hungry." <laughs> humble and hungry when they do the is that cool? Do you that's think definitely that's definitely cool? That's very cool. That's very cool. <laughs> All right. So last thing I want to do is just give not get in the way and give you guys an opportunity to ask each other a question that maybe you were thinking of as as you watch the film or as you talk to each other. Uh, Coach, hey, you Coach, go first, Coach Dunn, I did want to ask you, how many times have you had this question? How much of it was acting? How much of it was the kids doing for the cameras? I've told people a 100,000 times, and I just, I'm hoping you're going to back me on this one, that the first week and a half, it was kind of weird because cameras were there. But after that, it was almost weird when they weren't there, and they just kind of blended in come part of the team. And I'm telling you, after first 10 days... We never even knew they were around. I mean, how how'd that work for you? Definitely completely the same. And, and another part of it, too, was this This was kind of the first year for us. We were transitioning to a new situation. This is my first year as a head coach. Right. So I didn't have set routines and expectations. So like you said, after about a week or so, you kind of forget those guys are there. And, and the human side of it is you build a relationship with those guys. That's with the camera guys, yeah, right? Exactly. We so did, too. They were my the buddies. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the same for us. Very very same for us. A lot of people also, uh, it might be in your situation, but they imagine 
this truck with a big satellite on it and 10 <laughs> people running around with sound and boom yeah. mics. For me, it was one or two or three guys running around with things that looked like camcorders, and that was that, it. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's pretty, pretty streamlined operation. And yeah. uh, like, like I said before, you, you build a relationship with those guys, um, and, and it's just like uh, any other day. Yeah. Uh, one one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Coach, was what was your motivation to come back in and get into coaching? I know that you had a great high school experience, and you talked about some of the coaches in your life, but why in this specific situation? Because there's a lot of coaches that are like, I'm going to go for the biggest, best program. I want to be a 10-time state champion. And not a lot of people decide to do what we do and get involved with uh, urban athletics. Man, Coach, um, when you see kids going home at night and sleeping in, in bathtubs, so that the drive-by bullets don't get them when they're asleep at night, and you see no fathers, and and they, you know, they're wondering where if they're going to get dinner or where they're going to get it, and they're wearing the same shirt to school for the third day in a row, and despite all that crap, they show up every day with a smile on their face just to be part of something good and wanting to get better at something. I, you know, everybody says undefeated's inspiring, and I'll I'll take that it's motivational, but. The kids inspired me, man. I, I just I couldn't get away from them. I fell in love with their resilience and their willingness to fight and their willingness to be part of just anything. And frankly, even though I'm this white guy that owns a business company, the way I came up, I really identified with their reality more than I identified with the reality of my own children. And I knew where their hurts were, and I knew where their excitement was. And as every every week, we started having more and more success. And I and I saw them starting to gravitate toward doing the right things as a result of that success. And I'm telling you, man, I went I went to to help for spring practice for two weeks in 2003, and I didn't leave for six and a half years. And it was because those kids inspired me, man. Awesome. Bill Courtney, author of Against the Grain, A Coach's Wisdom on Character, Faith, Family, and Love. He was the coach in the documentary Undefeated, Manassas Tigers out of Memphis, and the coach of your MLK Cougars from Philadelphia, who's the coach in the documentary We Could Be King, is Ed Dunn. Thank you guys both very much. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Coach Bill Courtney's book, Against the Grain, comes out today. Also, Tomorrow at 4 Eastern, he'll be having a conversation with Super Bowl winning coach Pete Carroll. They'll be carried live on his website, Coach Bill Courtney. That's C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y, CoachBillCourtney.com. And Coach Dunn's team and the film We Could Be Kings receive support from Dick's Sporting Goods Foundation, Sports Matter. And that's it for today's show. The producer, Andrea Salenzi, stays hungry. Slate's executive producer, Andy Bowers, is humble. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a review. I think we're up to 66 reviews or ratings. 40 of you even wrote something. 38 of them nice. That's fine. That's a fine ratio. We're at slate.com slash gist email to sign up for our email. And you can also send an email to us at thegist at slate.com. Go Tigers. Go Cougars. Thank you for listening.